So Funny It Hurts is brought to you by Pacific West Injury Law. Got into an accident? Contact Pacific West Injury Law. Also, there's nothing better for your mental health than a great workout. And our episode is brought to you by Fit Club, the only place to be. It's so funny, it hurts. You ready? Oh, yeah. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Welcome back to So Funny It Hurts. I'm your host, Michaela Gordon, where we interview your favorite funny people and explore the trauma that made them that way. I'm so excited about this particular guest because my mother-in-law is the reason that you are here today. And honestly, talking about trauma, I think there's nothing more traumatic than being a Blasian king. Yes. Growing up in a predominantly white neighborhood. Yes. With a dog named Blackie. Yeah. <laughs> Please welcome Michael Yo to the show. Yay! And my mom gave my dog that name, Blackie. Uh-huh. It's terrible. The it's Korean terrible. queen. We well, love you, her. You know, well, when an Asian woman first moves to America, they don't know many words. <laughs> so they describe things and they name things by their color. So like people think it's like racist and stuff. I was like, no, she knew the word black and she just it was a dog. So she was like, oh, he blacky. <laughs> even though it wasn't a great name for a dog. But anyway, yeah, but yeah. she was just doing what she knew. She was doing what Not she does. Problem. Listen, I have to say my mother-in-law is doing what she does. We just recently moved from L.A. to Vegas. Me and my fiance. Me, me and my wife and kids. Same thing. So excited. And I want to hear all about why you moved and everything. I'm loving Vegas, by the way. Yes. But the day I got here, created this podcast, my mother-in-law was watching the news. And she goes, there was this guy on the news, really handsome, really funny. And I don't know his name, but you should get him on the show. <laughs> and I go, well, do you, do you have anything for anything? And she goes, Blasian. <laughs> and I was like, Michael Yo, Because I am a fan, yeah, so it's yeah, not like, you know. Yeah. And I go, Michael Yo, And she goes, yeah, that's his name. Yeah. yeah. And if he gives you tickets, I want to go see him. Oh, my God. Anytime. And I said, okay, okay. And then I happened to run into Blake Lewis from American Love Idol. Blake Lewis. One of my best friends. And I go, yeah, I have this podcast. And he goes, oh, you got to get Michael Yo. And I go, what is it with Michael Yo? Every sign led to you. I'm so happy you're here oh, today. I, I'm, I'm happy to be here. And the thing I love about Vegas, and it's starting to happen. And, like, we're both new. But I feel a community is starting here like over the last couple of years. I've been yeah. here two years and I feel that a lot of entertainers are moving here. A lot of a, a lot of people that just want to help other people out mm -hmm. are moving here. Mm -hmm. And I love that feeling. I yeah. love the feeling of Vegas. It's the best place I've ever lived. I've only lived here two years, but my kids love the schools. My wife loves it. She went to UNLV. She ran track oh, for him. Wow. Her parents live here. So we have babysitters. Hey. You know? And that's the most <laughs> important thing. But it, it's just a, it's, it's a place of community. You know? Yeah, it is. That's what I love. You know, me and my fiance are from here originally, uh -huh. but we lived in LA for almost 20 years. And so to come back, it's such a different experience. But again, like you said, everyone wants to help each other. I feel like the city has grown so much with all the sporting events. And also, I do want to ask you this because I started as a singer first. So yes. seeing all these singing residencies makes sense to me. But now we've got like these major comedy residencies like Sebastian Menescalco. I just saw Fortune Feimster a couple weeks ago. Is it crazy as a comedian to see these residencies happen? You know, I compare Vegas probably like 10 years ago 
to Dancing with the Stars. If you went on that show, basically you need to re revive your career. You know yeah. what I mean? Or the joke is, if you go on Dancing with the Stars, you have no more career. You know, yeah. that was the that was the tag people right. would put on it. I felt like Vegas was that 10 years ago, but now Vegas has become that place where, oh no, the hottest people are coming here because guess what? They don't need to travel. Everybody comes to them. Mm -hmm. And I think, and this is what I think we're on the same page, the older you get, the less you want to move around. You just want to be around the people you love. Yeah. And I think these artists are like, hey, it's great going around the world. But it's also great to do a residency for six months and stay in one place, make the same amount of money, and then you get to be with your family. Totally. So I think now it's switched where Vegas is hot to be performing and mm -hmm. doing shows all the time. And touring, if you look at it, that's where artists make the most money. But if you don't have to jump on a plane or jump on a bus or... You know, it, it's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. Well, it's great for you because you have two kids, which you talk about yes. so much in your stand up. Yes. You're a family guy. And I love that. So I'm Italian and Jewish, so I'm family girl all day. Uh -huh. And I love when you talk about your son. I love when you talk about your daughter. Oh, you would my die daughter. for your son, murder kill, for your daughter. Kill. I will kill you for my daughter. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, how old are the kids now? There's six. My son is six. My daughter's three. So, oh. yeah. It's. And it's interesting, like, trying to find material, you know, because I, when you're a comic, you really sit back and evaluate your life and what's going on. Or if something funny happens, you kind of try to register it. So it, it's my material is getting more in depth with my family, you know, about my son and my daughter. And, you know, like the other day, my son, I walk him to class on Mondays. You get to walk him to class. Me or my wife walks him to class on Mondays. He's in kindergarten. And then the other day, I was walking, holding his hand. And he stops and says, I need to tell you something, Dad. He goes, I don't need you or Mama to walk me to class anymore. I'm a big boy. And he walks off. And I was like, oh. Ah! I was so hurt. And then I go to my wife and tell her. And my wife is crushed. And then automatically she goes, what did you do to him? I was like, no, I didn't do anything. I didn't uh -huh. do like, but it's funny how the shift of, oh, he wouldn't have done this with me. As, you know what I mean? Yeah, as, of as, a, as a mother. He, but it, it's just interesting to see that dynamic play out. It's like, oh, it's my fault. Like, I was harassing him. Yeah, school. you no. ruined this. You yeah. ruined the walk. I ruined the walk. Way to, to go, school. Michael. Yeah. I know. It's all Listen, me. My niece is six. I just moved back, and mm -hmm. that's my baby. Me and Lisa yeah. plan on having our own family next year. Uh -huh. But right now, it's all about my niece and nephew. Yeah. My niece is six. She thinks I'm a brat's doll. Like, we are on another level in love. Yeah. So she went to a birthday party on Saturday and she said, Ziamika, um, I, I want you to come. Well, at first she said, at first she said, I don't want you to come. You'll embarrass okay. me. <laughs> and I was like, bitch, what did you just say? <laughs> I'm your cool aunt. Right. No, she wanted me to come. The day of the party, she said, I want you to come. And I was like, I guess if I can make it as I'm like throwing all my clothes on <laughs> to get to the party. And she's six. And she went to her crush's party. And that's what she proceeded to call. This is my crush. Eli at six at six. Oh, and my sister was like, yeah, don't you remember? Like we used to have, no. and I was like, I remember trying to be about that money yeah. and trying to like be a star. Never crushes. At six, I don't remember crushes at six, but also I wasn't even trying to be a star at six. I was a very, I guess I was a very uninspired six year old. because <laughs> I don't remember anything I was good at at six or really wanted to do. All I, I was sports. I like sports, but the difference with my, cause I'm a little older than you. The difference with my parents were they never 
like said, go try this, go try that. I had to ask them. You know where my son is like, oh, you want to try? So I, we'll take him to things to try it out to see what he likes. Well, my parents are very chill. Yeah. You know, they didn't put me into things unless I asked. So I didn't start any organized things till like eight, nine. You know? And what was it? What was the first thing? Football. You- Okay. At eight, nine years old where we were banging our heads together. Now we know that Baby. was bad. Uh-huh. You know, but, uh-huh. but I love football. I love football, basketball, track, all that stuff as I got older. But it was just a different time where now with our son, if he's at home, we're like, well, we don't want him to be bored. But one day, two days a week, we let him chill. But the other days, he loves swimming. He loves golf. He loves different things. And so we take him to those. So. Well, so you started sports at eight or nine. Yeah. And like that was your thing. That's mm-hmm. what you were wanting to do. Uh-huh. At what point did you realize or did you ever uh, use your comedy to sort of get you out of trouble? Because you grew up in a strict house. I mean, your mother's Korean. Yeah, my mom's Korean. My dad's black. So it was like a military. It was strict. It was. It was interesting. I could go out later when I was like eight or nine than when I was 15, 16. I remember my mom dropping me off at the skating rink going to like midnight. Because uh-huh. they would have their date <laughs> night. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they would, they would just drop me off. But then when I got older and could get in trouble, they uh-huh. picked me up at like 10 or 9. I'm like, yo, what's the deal? You let me stay out late when I was like 8 or 9. Uh-huh. Well, however younger I was, maybe 10 or 11. But man, when I got to that 15, 16 range and they brought me to the skating rink or whatever was happening, no, mm-hmm. 9 o'clock. Mm-hmm. I had to be at home by 9.30. Yeah, yeah and it was strict. It was strict. And, you know, like they, they were old school. You know, like my mom's 70, my dad's 78. So it was all about the, if you acted bad, you got whoopings. You know yeah. what I mean? It, it was a different time. Uh-huh. It was a different time. And get your mouth washed out with soap. Yeah. That was the thing. You mm-hmm. know, they would take a bar of soap, you know, and then just face fuck you with it. You know, basically <laughs> just make you, you like that? You like that? You know, you know, uh, is that maybe that's why I'm a lesbian? My mom did no, that to me, and I was like, "That's, that's enough. enough." I can't take anything. Like, <laughs> no, but it's interesting that parents saw that and was like, "Oh, that's a great idea. Let me do that too to my kid." Yeah, but that was a big thing. But that was old school. Listen, my mother's side is Italian, my father's side is Jewish Italian, and the Italian side Italian. Yeah, like they, I was the only girl. They did not mess around. If we got in trouble, did we you get were whoopings? in trouble. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it, now let's think today, like today. I asked that question when I performed, how many people got whoopings, and I see people raise their hands. And it just blows me away how many women raise their hands. That means grown men at that time were hitting women with belts, Mm -hmm. like small girls Mm -hmm. with belts. And that kind of blows me away to death. It was normal, and I'm not judging you if you did it in the past. I am. I'm judging you. But isn't that amazing? Not amazing in a good way. Like We were at a point where a grown man would hit a child, any child, but especially a girl with a belt and a little boy. Yeah. Well, you're the same size as a little girl or a little boy. I mean, you're still little. And, you know, we grew up, I don't know if you experienced this um, with your your mom. I know that my mother, uh, we don't have a relationship, unfortunately. It's probably because of the beatings with the belt that she got from her father. (laughs) No, but that... The trauma... That's that's it's passed down. And yeah. I think and I kind of talk I'm starting to get into that in my comedy where it's kind of like, you know, like my father got it worse from his father than he did to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and mm-hmm. being a parent is throwing away the bad that your parents did and keeping the good. And hopefully your kids will be better than you because they'll throw away your bad and they'll keep your good. Yeah. You know what I mean? Of course. And I feel like like I know my dad. 
he told me about the whoopings and beatings he got from his dad. So he thought he was easy on me at that time. And then I think our generation, I think we're called Generation, uh, generation X, my generation, we got to a point where it was so bad that we thought it was so bad, we overcorrected. Right. And now I, I am not even comfortable. Like, I, I hit my son once on the butt. When How did you feel? Horrible. And I never did it again. You know what's crazy? I Because they don't know. Because you know what changed my mind about all of it? Is that I asked my mom the other day. I go, so when I got whoopings, because I'm fat, in my mind, I'm stuck in this time of getting whoopings, right? I only got three, too, but they're very memorable. Mm -hmm. Like bad whoopings. And I go, well, after you gave me a whooping, did I do the same thing? She goes, right away. So I go, why would you, you know that doesn't work then. Mm-hmm. And that's why I was like, no matter how many, you can, you can whip a kid, you can tell him not to do so, he's going to do it again because he's a kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? And they can comprehend to a certain point. You know what I mean? Well, but also I think we live in an era, and look, I'm not like a parent at all. Yeah. I'm an aunt. I want to be a parent. Yeah. Fertility. Hello. But my makeup artist, we just had this conversation, and I love her. Yeah. She um, t- told me a story about how she disciplined her daughter, and her daughter was, they have phones, she's a teenager, it's a whole thing. Yeah. She gave her a little smack, and uh, the, um, I want to say the CDC, not the CDC, the Child Protective Services yeah. was called, and her daughter was taken away. Like, we're living in a time where if you even remotely touch your child you which are i think in is, which risk. i also think is ridiculous I because do too. people shouldn't be telling you how to parent um what you do in your home is what you do in your home i really believe that but as the older i get it's pretty i don't want to say barbaric's not the right word because that's way too aggressive for it because barbaric is like throwing men in in gladiator times where they were fight to the death. Like, that's barbaric. And, yeah. I mean, but nothing surprises me anymore either, you know? But it's a time where, for me, I didn't want... And I also grew up when my parents didn't say I love you. You know what I mean? So I grew up in that time. No I love yous, got whippings, and I love my parents to death, and they love me, but it was just, I don't. I didn't want to pass that on to my kids. Did you know that the love was there, though, growing 100%. up? Like, you 100%. felt it. Felt it. They didn't say it. Nope. But you knew. Hundred percent. Like my mom said, I speak by action, not words. Like that's my mom. Right. You know? And that's. And since my mom didn't say it, my dad didn't say it. I have. I haven't heard them tell each other they love each other, but I know they do, and they've been married almost fifty years this year. Yeah. Wow. I've never heard them say I love you to each other. Fifty. But years. I know they do. A hundred percent, because I see the way they act around each other, how they're always laughing and joking. Uh-huh. It's beautiful. I mean, I do a podcast with them. People see how much they're they amazing. Love. They're amazing, but you will never hear them say "I love you." But do you think that that speaks volumes of how it really is about? You don't need to say how you feel. You do need to show how you feel, and that's in any and all relationships. I, th- I think I think it is, but I think some people need to hear it. More I than do. other people. I feel like I'm yes. a, I'm a, if you know my love language, it's definitely like words of affirmation. Like, yes. I like to hear it. I like to hear like, I love you. All this sweet thing. Like just makes me feel better. Yeah. I, I, I think like my wife likes to hear it. I like to hear it because I never got it. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it's very important. And I think I probably overdo it with my kids because I never got it as a kid. My whole thing is I travel a lot. I'm flying around a lot. Life is short. You never know about anything. I just want my kids to know, because they're so young, I want them to fully comprehend 
they know if anything ever happened, how much I love them. And that's the thing. That's why I say it so much. My daughter is three. She probably still doesn't comprehend it, but I know my son does. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And that's, he knows you love him so much. He said, stop walking me. I'm yeah. a man now. And, and he also said, stop telling me so much you love me. Like, he's that guy. He, oh. Yeah, yeah. Because I, 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 I'm going to be honest. I overdo it. I say it all the time. As soon as I see him, I'm like, I love you. He's like, oh. Dad, I know you love me. You know, <laughs> I know. But I feel like little kids just do that. They're like strong. They do, but they're but, like cheeky. But you about know it. what? He's gonna remember it when he's older. Yeah, and that's, he is. And, that, and that's what's uh, that's the main thing. Because I remember my parents not saying it. You know, so I know. And you don't know this until you reach a certain point in your life that how important those moments are, good or bad, in mm -hmm. your earlier life that you will remember later on. And now you kind of like sit back on them and go, wow, that's some of it was great. Some of it was bad. And then by no meaning my parents were bad parents. They just had a different way of parenting. Yeah. It was just know? the tools that they had. And that had. was the way everybody kind of parented back then. Yeah. You know? you know, it's nice that your son and even your daughter yeah. has uh, somebody to look up to when it comes to you i'm very close with my father but we only recently got close and now yeah. that's my little baby dad i love yep. him so much but it was very different growing mm -hmm. up when you were growing up you joke about it you're hilarious being blazing mm -hmm. the starter black man like starter all black. of it you're so 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 funny but does that come from a place of making light of a time where you didn't have anybody to no, look No, it was rejection. To? I'm making fun of rejection when I was younger. I was a starter black because anytime uh, a person would date me, they were like, oh, you're good looking for a black guy. You know, you would hear things like that at that time. A lot of white women would like test drive me, I guess you could say, because I wasn't black. But I was black enough. You know what I mean? So, mm. it, yeah, but it was by rejection of you feel accepted because they're going out with you. They're hanging out with you. But you also know you're only there's a certain reason they're going out with you. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. oh, you're not fully black. You're black. And I want to know how it is to date a black guy. But you're not really black. You know what I mean? So but that's growing up where I'll hear that from black folks still today. It's like, oh, you married a white woman. He's not really black. You know, and it's just this, everybody's always trying to separate people. Yeah. You know, and my comedy, I really try to bring everyone together. You know, so I've never got, as a young person, it was, I want to say it was tough growing up like that. Because I dealt with a lot of racism, a lot of... Uh, like from kids at school? Kids at school. Yeah, I mean, because kids, we don't know. You know, and what you do know, you learn from your parents. So now I'm older... Those kids were just expressing how their parents felt. Because I'll give you a great example. Adults are making a big deal of the mermaid, right? Being black. I was in a movie theater filled with kids for a school thing. I was kind of helping out with this whole school thing. It was probably 150 to 200 kids in a theater. The trailer for the mermaid came on and everybody yelled out, mermaid! It wasn't Black Mermaid. It wasn't Where's the White Mermaid. It was Mermaid. Mm -hmm. So that hit hit at home to me because I was like, oh, see there. First of all, I already knew it. Kids don't care, but these kids are gonna learn from the parents that were upset about it, and then they'll get their opinion off of it. Because that whole room, it was probably like five to six year olds. 
they didn't care what color that mermaid was. Mm -hmm. They just wanted to see that movie. Mm -hmm. It's all these older people, my age and up, mm -hmm. upset about it, which is ridiculous in the first place, you know? So, you know, kids don't know. And it's just scary that, you know, some of these parents out there have these swayed opinions that are going to affect their kids. Yeah. I mean, listen, Little Mermaid was my queen. Yes. I loved her. Yeah. And I'm dark. I'm a dark Italian yeah. girl. And I never, just as you're saying that I'm thinking back, I never cared that her hair was red or that her eyes were blue. Like, none of, I just wanted to be her. Yes. And there was no, I couldn't be... There was nothing like that. So it's crazy to think, but, yeah. But also, as far as me, I grew up in a time where every cartoon was white. You know what I mean? And now I get That's to watch... That's gonna be so isolating too, just as a little baby kid. Yeah, but but like you said, we really never noticed it because there was no other options. Right. You know, so I, I don't want to say it affected me at all because that was the only... If vanilla ice cream is the only ice cream they're serving, vanilla ice cream is great if you want ice cream right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so that was the only thing they were really showing besides uh fat albert you know uh but now i'm watching my kids watch multicolors of animated movies you know from moana to encanto to uh little mermaid and it's beautiful because you know they see representation because because they notice it because i've heard my son go look that's me you know, I've heard my daughter like really attach herself to female characters. But then they do that with the white animated movies too. Yeah. But at least there's representation, you know, that they can see where I really didn't see it, but it didn't affect me because I didn't know anybody. It's kind of like growing up with a parents that don't tell you they love you. You don't know that's not the way it's supposed to be. Like I never knew till I dated an Italian girl in her. Lucky all they, you. All they said was, I love you all the time. Uh -huh. I mean, they're very passionate about the word I love. Yeah. And I was going, I thought they were so insecure. I go, "Is are y'all insecure about Listen to me. I like, have been asked so many times, am yeah. I being genuine? Am I being authentic? Yeah. Because I say, I love you. I love you. What was different with me is my papa and my grandma were obsessed with me. And I was obsessed with them. Yeah. My home life, my mom and my dad. They were dysfunctional, so they didn't say it. So it was this dynamic of knowing I come from like this passionate, wild culture, but my parents like were on their own path and just didn't have really? time. How did that affect you, not oh, hearing it? Deeply, yeah, deeply. I feel like um, I have a younger brother who's the father to my niece and nephew, uh -huh. and I am so annoying to him. He was my baby brother. I carried him around. I made him do everything with me. And I always credit American Idol not being, I didn't go on this show to be like a famous singer. I went on to get me and my brother out of a situation I felt we didn't deserve to be in. Mm -hmm. And so I think I looked for validation and for love in places where I probably shouldn't have for a period of time. Gotcha. Um, and then I made it funny, which is why I'm funny because yeah. I, I know rejection. I know what it feels to not feel good about myself. So that sort of deflected on me. You know what I'm saying? Well, I think that's what comedy is though. You take what, what's great about being a comedian is finding things that people see every day, but don't see that angle of that. And that's, what's so beautiful. You know, like, that's what's so amazing that something that people see every day that don't know there's a joke there. And then when you hear it, like very seldom I get blown away from a joke. I don't know where it's going. But when you do, mm -hmm. 
see that, you're like, oh, that joke was right in front of me the whole time. Mm -hmm. And I didn't do it. And this guy found it. What's a joke? Do you have one off the I, top? I, no. I, and I don't want to put you on the spot. No, but... no, no, no. Like, uh, I've been told about a joke I have. Has done that for a comic, a very established comic. Uh, I talked about, it's going to be on my next special. So, but it's, a, it's about, um, I talk about how women don't make men better. We, we keep them average and ruin their lives. But then, <laughs> but then I give an example like, it is a simple example. I go, Rosa Parks, she was married. What's the first name of Mr. Parks? And then, you know, so it's kind of like, and then it opens the eyes of everyone like, oh, okay. So all these powerful women, you really don't know their husbands. Where if there's a powerful man, you'll a lot of times know their wives. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it goes into that. And he goes, man, that Rosa Parks thing was sitting in front of me this whole time. And you put it together, you know, and that's great because it's, it's way more to that bit. It's like a 10 minute bit, but that's a piece where he goes, man, you know, it's so simple, but until you pointed it out, because when I say that, the whole crowd goes, oh my God, we get, we, because a lot of people, when I first say men don't make women better, we keep them average or ruin their lives. There's two reactions. You get last, but then women that think they're in great relationships don't laugh because they're kind of scared to laugh at it mm -hmm. because the guy they love or they, they think this guy makes them better. So you have to start, it's kind of that, you have to start cracking their case so they open up. And you have to present your case why this is. And the more I present it, you see everybody start loosening up and go, oh, we understand what he's saying now. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying all men are shitty. I'm just going, do we really make women better? You know, or do we, you know, ruin their lives? Let's really look at it, you know? <laughs> and when you get people to, what I love is starting a joke where everybody's not on board, but by the end of it, people are going nuts for it. Listen That's to so great. You have um, an amazing special uh, called... I never thought. I never thought. And when you talk about... COVID. Getting COVID. Oh my God. It went in every direction I thought it wouldn't go. Yeah. And by the end, you do a great bit about... I don't care if you're vaccinated or not. Yes. And by the end, everybody is everybody, laughing. In, in, in that, that, when I did that bit, because I perform at the Comedy Cellar so much, so I was doing that bit working out during COVID still at the Comedy Cellar. And man, it was weird trying to put that together. But what I know is, no matter if you're an anti-vax or you're a vax, you're all about the vax, it didn't matter because I'm not telling you, I'm not judging you. I'm telling you my story. You know what I mean? And mm -hmm. I think that's why it works with everyone. Mm -hmm. I'm not blaming anybody. I'm telling you exactly what happened to me and all the funny moments I found yeah. in the situation since I'm alive now. You know, and so even if you're an anti-vaxxer, you can't be like, well, that didn't happen. No, it did happen. There's medical records, there's everything that's shown. So now you get to sit back and go, oh, he's not judging me for my thoughts. He's just telling me his story. So it's kind of like I'm watching a movie. I'm watching this stand-up comedy about his life, and I'm fine with that because I'm not saying you suck because you're an anti-vaxxer or you're an idiot because you're a vaxxer. I'm not saying that. I'm just telling you my story. And that's where I think I get to push the limits. Yeah, you win. I win because I'm telling my story. Mm -hmm. And I'm not trying to tell you you're wrong. I'm just telling you my story. Yeah. No. Okay, so I love your specials. You mm. did just mention you have a new special coming out. Yes, well, we're putting it together right now. I'll probably shoot it towards the end of this year uh. or maybe the beginning of next year. But I'm so excited about it because it's this one I'm delving deeper into being a father, relationships, just 
just some random weird stuff that happens around me. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. And look, my last special, I, I told my friends like that was a great special and this next one needs to be just as good or better, but I'm, it's going to be hard because that one was so good. And so it's like a time capsule that, that first 12 minutes was like a time capsule of COVID. Mm -hmm. Like I believe 50 years from now, people will watch that and yeah. go, Oh my God, that, you know, so that's hard to beat, but I'm finding other material that's kind of, you know, timeless too. That's what I, I try to make things that, that are timeless. And I don't want to sound like other comedians. I want to take it the other direction, you know, because so many comedians go, oh, my wife is this, my wife is that. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, let me see how, and that's how I came up with, oh, we don't make women better. We keep them average and ruin their lives. Because how do I, I mean, yes, me and my wife love each other. But how did I make her better? You know what I mean? And yeah. I go, most men don't make women. And I think in certain areas I've made her better, in certain areas I've made her worse. And I go into all that stuff. So it's I very on me. I love that perspective. Yeah. And you guys have been married how long now? Uh, seven years, known each other nine years. Wow. And yeah. she's beautiful. I love when oh. she joins your podcast. I love all of the beauty tips and hacks that she oh, has yeah. that you drag her for. I'm like writing them down. I love that. She's so, in, like, she's very shy and she doesn't want to do it. But now I kind of open her up and she's like excited to do it because I just wanted to show. Like, I'm so lucky she's my wife, first of all. Like, she is amazing. And she's, I mean, way out of my league. But, you know, it's kind of like we have a beautiful family. And that's what, my, that's what my podcast, my comedy. And I found my voice. It's, you know, I, when I toured with Joe Coy and he brought me into comedy, I remember my first special, Blasian. I was, I, in my mind now when I look at I was trying to be like Joe Coy. Move a lot around, mm -hmm. do a lot of things he does. You know, because I, I really haven't found my voice. This last special, me sitting down, me just talking, I found my thing. You know, I'm a guy that just sits down, wants to hang out and tell stories. You know, so that's yeah. my thing. Yeah. For comedians or for people that are doing, you know, podcasts for the yes. first time or radio, I think finding your voice is difficult because we are now inundated with material thanks to social media thanks to there's not just like one or two outlets where you share your story everybody from all walks of life can tell their story so it's very hard to find this unique path what advice would you give to people even people that have been in the business for a long time still trying to find their voice well i i think it's hard to find your voice yeah because here's the here's why it's hard because if people don't validate it, you feel like it's not your voice. Mm -hmm. When it could be. Mm -hmm. Just because you're not getting a million listens or you're not getting all the likes, you feel like, oh, well, this isn't my voice. And it really could be your voice. Theo Vaughn is a perfect example where in Hollywood, he couldn't find his voice. He knew his voice, but everybody was like, no, nah, that's not the voice we want. You know what I mean? Like on television. So he goes, all right, I'm start my own podcast. And do my voice all, now. He's one of the biggest comedians, one of the biggest podcasts. He does five million downloads a month. Yeah, he's or crazy. Something. It's crazy. It's bananas. He found his voice. He he always knew his voice. I've known him when he first. He always knew his voice, but people around him didn't accept it. Around him mean Hollywood. And then he did his own thing, and now he found his people. And that's what's so great about today, is really be authentic to your voice. And I know it's hard to find, but once you feel like this is it, go with it. Because it may not take off. We're looking at the Theo Vaughn, but there's probably a million people that it didn't work out for. You know, but that doesn't mean it's not your voice. 
it means you just haven't found the people that like that voice. And sometimes that's a journey. I mean, you know, I know some comedians that took 25 years to blow up. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like their voice sucked before. It's just, it takes time for people to find certain voices too. Yeah. And I think that's the most important thing. Once you find your voice and you really, it's mostly you really believe in what you're doing and saying, that's when you move forward. If, if you can do whatever project you're doing, you go, that's exactly who I am. That's exactly what I want to represent. And I know what type of people I want. Then you go with it. And it, it could be a long ride, but at least you're authentic to yourself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I love that. I think that's such good advice because I think that, and I'll just say for myself too, when you start something new, you want that validation. You want people yeah. to be like, good job. When you don't, you're like, fuck, I hate this. Oh yeah. And, and it could move really slow and then you could have a pop and then it moves really slow and have a, but that's life. Yeah. You know, like podcasting, anything you do, stand up, it's slow, it builds, it's slow, it builds, it's slow. And then let me tell you some probably, and I would think even some of the biggest podcasters in the world. And some of the biggest comics in the world, they always want more. They feel like, man, why can't I sell out two stadiums? <laughs> yeah. You know, like I'm only doing like there's if you're hungry, you're never satisfied. And that's great. And and that's great. But as long as you're realizing what you're actually doing and where you were last year and are you growing, mm -hmm. you know, well, that feels like I feel like you've been building and building with this next special. Yes. You said it's got to be. Like my last special, better though. Or better, or better. Do you, as you continue, because everybody knows you. You've been around forever. Yes. You've done it all. You worked with the Kardashians. You yep. were with Chelsea Handler. It's not like you're like, you've been doing it forever. But, I, but, but go ahead, ask your question, but then I'll, I'll, I'll say something after that. Do you feel the pressure of continuing to expand your audience with newer material? No. No, I don't. I, I know it happens. That's why. Mm. Because, because, you know, I was, I think I was talking to Rogan. This was a long time ago when I was at his studio in LA. And he goes, there's so many funny people. It's just about exposure. So I'm to the point now where I feel like I'm funny. And it just takes time for people to find out. Like when I put out my own special, I've self-funded it. I put it out myself. I never thought, I had only 3,000 people on YouTube. Now I have close to 150,000. Mm -hmm. Just from that special I put out a year ago. So that's my thing is like, I'm funny, it's just people need to find it. You know, and then you may hit a point where you start going viral everywhere, you know? Uh, and then you'll hit a low point where like, oh, your views are down. But it's just finding that audience. So I know I have a big enough net and it's growing continual continually it's growing so i know if i keep feeding that certain audience that likes me that audience will tell other people that like me mm -hmm. you know because mm -hmm. one thing this is just for me what i learned you don't want to you don't want everybody to think you're funny you just want your people to think you're funny right you know what i mean because mm -hmm. if you find your people you can live a great life just doing comedy you know, like this, I'll give you an example. I was at the comedy store. Sebastian was there, Bobby Lee, all these great comics, you know, on the lineup. And Steve-O was on. And Steve-O is such a great personality, you know, from Jackass and all that. But Bill Burr and all these people are on the show. But when he went on, like you had some crushers on that show. The 60 people that came to see Steve-O, 
like Steve-O fans, mm -hmm. they could have cared less about Bill Burr. They could have cared less about Sebastian. They were there to see Steve-O. And that's when this light, it was like a light bulb went off, yeah. off in my head. I'm at the comedy store with the world's greatest comics. And these 60 people that came for Steve-O, Steve they could give a fuck less about everybody else. <laughs> they wanted to see Steve-O. Yeah. You know? And I was like, oh, those people are his people. So when you find your people and they find you, you're, they, that's your ride or dies. They could care less who's out there as long as you're out there. You yeah. know? So that's why I stopped. Mentally, I got out of oh, trying to get everybody like me or trying to get everybody like, oh, why do they like this person? Why because that's not your people. Yeah. You know, like, why is this comic blowing up and I'm not blowing up? It's like, because that's not your people. Yeah. And maybe your people, it's going to take longer to build, but once you build them, you'll be around a lot longer. Who knows? Well, something I love about you that you talked about, we talked about even before the show started, was uh, you're a big self-funder. You're yes. like a believer in yourself. You're going to make it happen for yourself. Uh, that's through your podcast, through everything. Everything I do now. Is there a particular reason? Because you could have help. Yes. Let me tell you why. It was... My first special, Blation, you know, I know nobody really saw it, you know, and look, the company I did, they're great. They're great. But I felt like once I recorded it, I had no control. It's kind of like I handed over a product, didn't own any of it, couldn't put up clips without their permission. On my own work, I couldn't do anything right. with it without their permission. And I wouldn't have known, but I'm glad I went through that because when I did it my own, I knew what to expect and I knew how I would have rolled it out. Cause I go, why? Cause I would always ask, why didn't y'all do this? Why didn't you do this? Why didn't you do? So I was a bunch of, I was analyzing the whole situation of the first special. And then I'm like, okay, if I ever do it myself, you know, uh, I'll do it. And then, you know, Joe Coy self-funded his one that went on Netflix that changed his whole career. He goes, you got to do it yourself. So I invested the money. You know, found some good friends that own clubs and they let me rent it out for a very low price. And I shot my special. And from that special, it's changed, literally, it's changed my life. You know, in ticket sales, in exposure, everything. Do you think, you think it's an energy thing? Like, not to get all woo woo, but it's like it the work you put in, the energy you put into yourself. That's sort of what and, spreads. And it's, it's, it's seeing it grow. And you know you did it, and you know, like, I just, my special's been out a year, and I just signed a deal to distribute it, because I own it. So it's gonna be re-release, you know, uh, through 800 Pound Gorilla, because I own it, so I can do that. Where I see my first special everywhere, Blasian, but I don't even know where it's gonna be, I don't get any money That's from it. That's crazy. This, every single thing that happens, I get to choose where it goes. So now, it's got, I don't want to say I've run the gauntlet on my special, but it's a year. Now it's time to give it more exposure. So 800 pound gorilla is going to put it everywhere where I just had it on my YouTube page and we did 500,000 views, but some of the clips got 20 million views. So it's done its thing for me. Yeah. I've made so much money more than the investment. And now it's only going to, and when you do it yourself, when you distribute it, do it someone else, you get a lot more percentage because you shot it. It was already done. They're just redistrib redistributing what you've already done. So your percentages are higher. And big shout out to 800 Pound Gorilla because I'm excited about And they had a plan and they want to put it out. So now it's kind of like I'm excited for the second pop 
off this special while I put together this next one. Would you ever be able to like T-Swift Scooter Braun the situation where you could take Blazion, redo it as a special? I, I am. Seven years. Uh, I got like a year and a half more and I'm going to reshoot it. Love that. When I own it again. And, you know, I, and now I'm a better comic as well. So I'll tweak some of the jokes. But that one was more of screens behind me with vi visuals. My first one, I wanted people to really get to know who I was. So I did a lot of visuals in the background. Yeah, they were great, though. I love yeah. visuals. Seeing yeah. your mother, seeing your father, I feel like it really took us there. So when I get it back, I can't wait to reshoot that because I already know the material. So I'll be, and that'll be like not a special to be just, hey, this is the way I wanted to do it type of special. Like I'll put it out on my YouTube page and see what happens with it because I feel like by then, you know, because I know. The difference between when I release my special to Blasia, I hardly get stopped for Blasia in all these years. Wow. I get stopped all the time for I never thought. Airport, every, love your special, saw your clip, saw your clip. Because I was so passionate. I wasn't just another client. I was doing it. This was my, this was me. So I'm putting money behind it, putting it in places, advertising for it. You know, I pulled all the strings. When it's distributed through 800, they ask me, well, do you want to go here, here? Yes, let's do that. And we work together. It's synergy rather than, I felt like the lap, my first special is just like, after I shot it, literally, it's theirs. That's crazy though. Like I would want our audience to imagine like you create this, yes. you write it. It's your livelihood. Yes. It's your story. And you don't have fucking control of it. You don't. And a lot of times you need to go through that to know, what you would do, what you would do if you had control. Because let's be honest, if they took control of it and it blew up and it changed my life like this last special did, I probably would have shot another one with them. Right. You know what I mean? Right. So every bump in the road, you're like, oh, okay, maybe I'll go around that bump next time and I'll do it myself. I don't want to take that bump. I want a, a smoother path and I want to control more stuff. But you know, you have to know how that feels before you can redirect. You know what I mean? So that, so that, me not having any control was so great because if you look at it now, I'm a lot better comic now and I own the better special yeah. now. You know what I mean? You know, I think it's an important story that one that I personally have to learn because I'm very hard headed, but for others as well, like sometimes we look at things as failures or not working no. out for us the way that it should. And when we redirect the energy the same way that you did and we're like, it's growth. I learned. We're moving on. This is how we're going to do it now. And nothing has stopped you. Not having a family, not having children, not getting older, not all these things that I think we put in our own heads yes. that society has told us. You've been like, no, bitch, I'm out. I, I don't, I, I, I see everything as growth, negative or positive. It's growth. It's like, oh, I don't like that negative feeling. How can I redirect that and do it myself? Like even now that this one I, I'm distributing for my next one, I learned so much from this last one that worked. You know, now I'm like, okay, what 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 things can I change in that first one? And there's a lot of ideas I have already that I was like, oh, I missed out on this. You know, I should have did this at the launch. But I mean, if you really think business wise, three thousand people. On YouTube, it was a dumb business move to shoot my own special. If you really look at it business-wise, if you were to go to a business manager and go, all right, I'm going to spend X number of dollars on my a special, <laughs> and only 3,000 people are on my page. At the most, if 10% watch it, you got, what, 130 people? 
or, or 300 people that watched it, you know, that's not a good business move to spend all that money. But for some reason, business, you know, you don't think about that when it's your own project. You go, and my mind was like, it's great. I know it's going to work. I would tell everybody, I know it's going to work. Mm -hmm. I don't need anybody to find. I didn't even pitch it to networks. I did it myself. I didn't, because you know, I, a lot of people said, this special is so good. Why didn't you pitch it to networks? Because mm. I go, because I, I told my agent, I don't want to hear the no's. I want the people to decide. I don't want networks to tell me if I'm worthy or something. I'd rather take that rejection from the people. If the people say, yo, we don't like it, cool. I went to y'all, the people that like me told me a no. And I'm better with that than some people in corporate chairs saying, eh, it's a no. And you don't really know. And, and when I say they don't really know, I'm saying you don't really know till you put it out to yeah. normal people. Because when you live in LA, you go through a lot of castings and you get a lot of no's. But I can tell you as a comic, it feels so good when you can go up on stage that night and get yeses. Because you're like, oh, okay. The ego in you is like, oh, the networks just haven't caught up yet. Yeah. Because normal people, they Love like it. me. Mm -hmm. You know, your audience that you want to watch TV, they they like me. And I couldn't, I don't, I mean, I give big shout outs to actors because they don't get that outlet of yes at right. the end of the night. Right. You know what I mean? It's They got to sit on that no. And that must, and I, that's And if why, you're coming from childhood rejection, oh that's the last God. thing you want to continue. Up. It just builds up, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think, and I think, you know, we, we talk about rejection, how it makes you strong. It's almost dying in a hospital from COVID. Like that was, and I don't want to say cliche, but life changing because it was like, this is my voice. I really got my voice after that. After I started sitting down because I was too weak to move, COVID really changed And my, you had, for people who didn't see, double pneumonia and COVID. Yeah, double pneumonia and, and COVID. And when I started performing after that, it took me 10 months to really fully recover and when I started performing, I was too weak to kind of move around. So I just sat down and told stories. And I was like, and I saw the difference in reaction. It's like I saw people go from laughing to leaning forward and going, like they were into it and laughing. Mm -hmm. Like leaning forward and really wanted to hear. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, I, I found my thing. It's not that I found my voice. I found the way to present my voice. It's sitting down, chilling. It's almost like, because I'm a radio guy, it's almost like sitting down and interviewing somebody. But I'm just talking to the audience. What's up? What's up? What's up? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, you gave so much good advice today, especially. This was actually all for me. I wanted the advice. Good so thank for you. you. Uh, and you've, um, like we talked about, have worked with Joe Rogan. I mean, Joe Coy, like big names. Mm -hmm. Is there any advice that they gave to you that you took with you deeply that you still continue to think about today? The Rogan advice, I think, was exposure. Mm -hmm. A lot of funny people. There's a lot of funny people. What's going to separate people now is exposure. And you'll see comedians that pop. You know, uh, I, I know like three that have popped. But he goes, after you get that exposure, it's all about the work and maintaining it. Because that exposure will go away. Mm. You know, it's kind of like, let's say, American Idol or AGT. You get that exposure for a year, but then it's a new crop that comes in. Yeah. So how do you break through and keep that momentum going? You know, uh, I got that. It's all about exposure. That's why I started investing so much money in myself because nobody's going to promote yourself like you. You know what I mean? Yeah. You are the business, you know, and if you're not putting money back into the business, how do you expect to grow? 
You know, and my mom for my mom's a, she's not a negative person, but I remember when I told her I was going to shoot this special, and I was worried about her going, oh, the money, this and that. And she goes, and she's on restaurants, very successful. She's on a lot of restaurants, and she goes, oh, that makes sense. I'm like, what? She goes, yeah, because you're your business, right? I go, yeah. She goes, well, come on. She goes, I have to buy bread and food and different things to make a sandwich. You need to put money into yourself to be a bigger brand. So she goes, why wouldn't you put money in you? And I go, wow, that is inspiring. And thank you for that. But it made sense because it's, you are your business. If you don't promote yourself, who else is? And that's what changed. That's in going in my next special, I would put a lot more money into that launch than I did my first one and take take money out of certain areas I put it in that was beneficial, but I didn't really need it. It wasn't worth that amount of money. Yeah. 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 But you're your business and you got to invest in yourself. Like, you know, a lot of people don't don't really, they're like, ah, well, I made X number of dollars. I'm gonna keep it on my, no, you got to take a little bit. I have two kids and a wife and I still take a little bit, throw it back into business because it's a machine. It just keeps feeding and feeding and feeding. And if your video gets 100 more plays, that's maybe like, you never know what that could build into. 100 more plays, but that 100 more plays, let's say 20 share it. Now that builds into something. You just never know what's going to hit, you know? Yeah, it's crazy. No. You know, you've been in uh, comedy before. 12 years now. But before like TikTok. Oh, yeah. Before even Instagram, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you've kind of grown with what is... No, you know what I'm saying? Like you're going with it. You're like Madonna. Like we all just kind of <laughs> know if we want to stay successful. Do you think we're always going to need the comedy rooms? hundred percent. Do you think social media has really benefited? Cause we talk a lot about how social media is not great. Yeah. Do you think it's benefited comedians in the sense that you're saying with pushing? I specials? have friends that have blown up that are selling out multiple shows. So it's benefited them. It's benefited me. I've seen the audience since my last special came out. But I also think a lot of crowd work is going on, and this is just my opinion. I'm not a crowd, and remember, this is coming from not a crowd work guy. I've noticed, because I do comedy seller here, people start yelling out stuff now. I don't, I, I feel with all the videos are coming out about crowd work, a lot of people think that's comedy now. That you they know, can just kind of step into your territory. They, yeah, yell out, and it's gonna be part of the show. You know, because that's what they, people believe what they see. Right. Let's be honest. Yeah. You know, and if they're seeing every clip that somebody asking a question, you know, but people need to know these are very controlled parts of a show. Like I have several comedians that do it, but it's like they do their whole show and they go, all right, for the next 10 minutes, I'm going to take questions. And this is when that happens. It's not in the show. Mm-hmm. It's not in the show. This is like the last 10 minutes of the show when they're already done their set. And they go, now I want to hang out, ask me questions. And those are the clips you're seeing where people think it's during a show because that's quite annoying when people are yelling out during your show. But also at the same time, those comedians that do that have no right in complaining when people are yelling during the show because that's what they're presenting. Right, right. What do you do not doing a lot of crowd work with people feeling like they can now step into sort of that invisible barrier as a comic? I think it depends who the comic is. I have very successful friends that say they still get heckled, you know, but, but I mean, even if they're not heckling you, if they just want to talk to you, they're excited, they're excited to see you. And they're, they're speaking to you from the audience. 
and you're t- you're a storyteller. You're doing your thing. Do you acknowledge it? Do you ignore it? I hear people. I don't acknowledge it unless it gets really aggressive. Because I think any look, if you're drunk, hands off. You just don't know what they're gonna say. But a normal-minded person, if they say something and see, I just sit and they say it again and see, I just kind of steamrolled it. They're like, oh, okay, he doesn't want to talk. Yeah, they, they get it. It's like I'm not here for that, you know. Uh, do I want to get better in crowd work? Yes. Am I going to probably start? Because here's the thing. If you do crowd work last 10 minutes of your show, bring up all the comedians. You can even bring up other comedians uh, that, that tour with you. If you do five shows in a weekend, at that 10 minutes, all you need is one clip from that 10 minutes. And that's five clips. Mm-hmm. And that's how these come. Like I've, I, I know owners of clubs. When I walked in, you saw me call one. He goes, man, let me tell you, these guys that do this, it'll be nine minutes of nothing. And they'll get that one clip because that one minute they got to And so it's kind of like, that's the way. And I'm not stubborn either. And I think that's what a lot of comments, they get stubborn and they go, Oh, I'm not going to do that. That's not what I do. I'm not a crowd work guy, but if that's the trend, I better get on board because I don't want to be the old guy. Like I'm not using a cell phone. I want the one attached to the wall. You know, no, yeah. you got to change with the times. And what I feel like I'm the generation that started video game, Atari 2600 Coleco vision. So I should, if anybody could keep up with the times, it's us because we started all the video games. You know, you don't want to be the old guy to be like, I'm not going to do TikTok or Instagram. No. Yeah. That brings people to your shows. Hell yeah, I'm going to start doing crowd work, but I got to figure out the way I want to do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Listen, I think that you're super honest and I think you're super authentic. And I I loved Blasian. Oh, thank you. I loved all of your specials. Oh, thank I'm you. I'm so excited for this next one. Yeah. Um, to end this, because you're such a family guy. Yes. It's my eight-year anniversary with my fiance today. Yes. Mm-hmm. Do you have any relationship advice? Yes. My biggest thing, and I said this in one of my specials, but it's honestly true. When you're married, never say the first or second thing. Always say the third. I love it. Because you have to like, because a lot of times when you get upset with somebody, you'll just blurt out something that's very hurtful. So if you always like, all right, all right, you kind of like tick down three times and like, and then you say the thing you want to say, but it's in a much toner and I mean, in a, in a different tone. And especially when you want to be serious with them, but also just let them know you love them all the time. I mean, for me. You know, some people be like, oh, that's too much. But me, I let my wife know her. I love her all the time. And when I travel, I even let her know I love her more because I think it's even more important when you're moving and traveling and all that stuff, when you're not at home to let them know you love them even more because that makes them feel secure. Because I don't care who you are and how good of a relationship, everybody gets insecure. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, yeah. Michael Yo, I appreciate you so much Thank for you. joining us. Woo-hoo. Make sure you tune in to the Michael Yo show. We cannot wait for the special. Thank you. You're so funny. Give love uh, to your kids and your wife. Appreciate you. Thank you for joining us. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.